Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the love that you have given us in Christ Jesus. We thank you for your word which you have given us, your unerring eternal word. As we come to your word this morning, fill us by the power of the Holy Spirit with the love of Christ. This I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Our mission statement here at Joy Church is to grow alive, deep, and bold in the love and knowledge of Jesus. What is it to grow alive? It is by the power of the Holy Spirit, you go from death and sin to alive in Christ Jesus. You are now a new creation. You have been born again. And then you are to grow deep in him to grow deep in the love and knowledge of Jesus, to sit at his feet. And what does that mean? It means to be at his word, to soak it in, to live out your faith. And then what's kind of interesting is once you grow alive and the deeper you grow, all of a sudden this boldness starts to occur. You might not even be looking for it, but all of a sudden you're having conversations with people that you don't expect to have. And there's that boldness that just kind of comes up. But this is not just a progression and then you're done. It is an ever upward spiral. Because as you grow alive, deep, and bold, then you grow ever more alive by the power of the Spirit. You grow deeper in your faith and the roots and what you're standing on, the solid rock of Christ Jesus. And then the boldness comes even more. This is what we do. This is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, to be a follower of Jesus. And if you've noticed the past several months, we've been focusing on the first two, which is to grow alive and grow deep. And now we have both deep and bold. And so we are starting a sermon series, Faithful and Bold, and it is in 2 Timothy. So Faithful and Bold. That is our series. And now anytime, I'm going to guess most of you might not be familiar with 2 Timothy, so I want to give you a little context before we actually get into the text itself. Because Timothy was a pastor in Ephesus. So let's talk a little bit about Ephesus. Ephesus was a port city on the eastern side of what we would know as Turkey. The ruins are still there, but this was a very important city. During the first century B.C., it had a population of over 250,000 people. It was a big city outside of Rome. It was the largest Roman city, and it was the second largest city in the world. This was a very important port. It had wonderful aspects about it. It had an amphitheater that could fit 25,000 people. And you could stand, you see that little speck there, that person, you could stand at the very bottom of it, and the acoustics were so good, everyone could hear you. It was also known for a library. We think of libraries as commonplace, but back then, libraries were the center of where knowledge was held. So this was an important aspect. It also had one of the seven wonders of the world, It was the temple to Artemis, or the Romans would call Diana, the temple to Diana, Roman goddess. 
and Ephesus was the guardian of this temple. I sh- I'm showing you the ruins, and then there's also, in another place, they did a, uh, a replica of it. They built a replica. But you should also know, around this particular temple, many temple prostitutes. You should also know that Ephesus was also known for its brothel. They even had little tiles on the street that pointed you how to get to the brothel. So even though it looked wonderful on the outside, there was a lot of moral decay on the inside. Not only was there moral decay, there was also hostility against Christianity. And now even with the church in Ephesus, there was a lot of defection from a commitment to Christ Jesus. And not only that, you take a look, and there were people who were in the church or even being excommunicated who were spreading insidious, bad theology. I mean, they were heretics in the church. So even though it might look good on the outside, on the inside there was decay. And I can't help but think about some of the resemblance of our situation here in America this very day. So in the middle of this, you plop down Timothy. Timothy was a young man. He was Paul's protege. So Paul was his mentor. And Paul is writing him a letter. And the purpose of this letter is to encourage Timothy to persevere in the ministry of the gospel, to be faithful and bold. And this is a heartfelt letter that Paul is writing to Timothy. I mean, you can really tell he is just laying everything out for his protege. And the reason for this is because Paul was a prisoner in Rome. And we believe at, during this time he was awaiting his execution. He knew that his time on this earth was very nearly done. So he's pouring out his heart. And this, this heart goes out to this young pastor. But it's not just meant for Timothy, because this letter was en- ended up being read throughout the churches. So even though we might think that this is just for Timothy, there's a lot, a lot of application for you and me this very day. So this message is in four parts this morning, and it is all encouragement. Remember the faith that is yours. Let your faith burn brightly. Never be ashamed and guard it dearly. So by the way, remember there are sermon notes and there are pens available for you. Uh, If you'd like to do that, Bill talked about how writing things down using your senses can help you take things in. So remember the faith that is yours, let it burn brightly, never be ashamed, and guard it dearly. Let's go to the first part. Remember the faith that is yours. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. Now, as a parent... We want the best for our children, 
when they're in difficult situations. You know, if you've had a child that first day of school, right? And they could be nervous and the trembling lip and you encourage them on. But then it could be, well, for me, junior high, then high school or college, that first day of college. But it doesn't even end there, does it? It's that first official job. And all the fears that you actually have in school are the same ones that you have as an adult. Will people like me? Will I be able to get along? Am I up to this task? I mean, those are all kind of the same fears, right? And as a parent, you help the children all along the way. And sometimes you simply have to encourage them and remind them who they are. Paul is reminding Timothy who he is. The last time Paul and Timothy were together, There were a lot of tears. They were being separated. They had to go on their own ways. And now, Timothy's in Ephesus, right? I gave you a little bit of background about Ephesus. Difficult times. So, like any parent, like Heidi and I do for our daughter, we pray a lot. You know, we pray for them. And we sometimes have to encourage and remind them who they are. So Paul says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. He reminds Timothy that Timothy has a sincere faith. So what's a sincere faith? Well, it's a a, a faith that is honest, that is true, There's no hypocrisy there. It's not a false faith. It is a faith that is there and solid. But why would he have to remind Timothy that, look, Timothy, you have a sincere faith? It's because any time you are standing for the sake of the gospel, any time you are in ministry at all, you start to doubt you really do. You, 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 when, you, when you get stressed, you start to doubt, is this what God has called me to do? I don't know if I have enough faith to do this. See, it's at that point that you need to hear from others. And by the way, it doesn't matter what ministry you're in. And by the way, when I talk about ministry, I'm not talking about just full-time being a pastor type ministry. Oh, there's a lot of different ministry that's not the so-called professional ministry. It could be the ministry of a spouse loving their spouse. It could be of raising children or grandchildren. It could be a lot of different things regarding ministry. And the more you start to edge in your faith and sharing and doing acts of ministry for the sake of the gospel, it can be hard. And you need people to encourage you. I will tell you as a fact, I would not be here today if it weren't for my wife. I would not be here today if it weren't for our pastor. I would not be here today if it wasn't for Pastor Cornyn, who's the 
president of the AFLC. I wouldn't be here today unless it was for the ministerial that's in town or other brothers and sisters such as yourself who come alongside and encourage. We all need that. Every single one of us needs to be encouraged in our faith. You see, the call, while the call to follow Jesus is always an individual call, the journey of following Jesus is never meant to be alone. It's always in the company of others. I can't stress this enough. The journey of our faith is always in the company of others. That is where we find the strength. Because sometimes, I got to tell you, people will see something in you that you yourself cannot see. And we need to be able to share that with others. Look, what did Paul see in Timothy? Well, if you just let Scripture interpret Scripture, this is what you find. In Philippians chapter 2, he wrote this. I hope in the Lord to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no other like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served me in the gospel. So he's writing to Timothy. He says, Timothy, you have a sincere faith. And if you doubt that, just look to your mother and grandmother. Your mother and grandmother are the ones who nurtured you in that faith. You see how strong their faith is? You have a faith as strong or even stronger than that. Don't forget who you are and the faith that you have received from them. Now, we don't know a lot about uh, Lois and Eunice. Lois being the uh, grandmother, Timothy's grandmother, She seems to be the one who first came to faith. His mother was actually married to a Greek man, so she wasn't even in the Jewish faith. So for her to be converted to Christianity was a big thing. And what they did, mother and grandmother, they spent time reading Scripture to him, talking to him about faith. So, Mothers and grandmothers, all the women here, never underestimate the positive influence you can have on your children and grandchildren's faith. Keep planting the seeds. Keep encouraging along the way because your children and your grandchildren need that as well. We all need that encouragement to have a faith that burns brightly. And so this is the next section. Let your faith burn brightly. Verse 6, for this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. Now I'm going to come at this in a little bit different manner, okay? Why do men like to grill? Tastes good. Now we get to play with fire. Right? 
there's something certain about men and like, oh, we're going to get all the lighter fluid out there and do all that. And you've seen, now there are some here who are very skilled in grilling or barbecue. I, I, I give them full credit for that. But for the rest of us, we're not so great. And you probably might have seen some of us with a piece of cardboard or something going like this in front of the charcoal, right? Smoke all around, and we're doing this until finally what happens? It is in good burning fire. So what does all this action do? It puts oxygen into the fire because without proper oxygen, it cannot burn brightly, right? You get this. Now, Tim, Paul is writing to Timothy. He says, you need to fan into flame the gift that you have received from God. He says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. So a more little translation, by the, uh, by the way, would be keep fanning. So it's not just a one and done. It is a keep on fanning the flame so that you are burning brightly. The thing about this is, as I talked about even in the beginning, it's this upward uh, ascending spiral that we have in our faith if we keep fanning the flame, if we keep it burning brightly. Otherwise, when you stop, eventually the coals might burn bright for a while, but they do burn down and out. By the way, it's the same thing with a church. Churches go through the same cycle. Sometimes, you know, when you start, there's all this excitement, right? And there's all this oxygen and everything's burning brightly, but after a while, people keep, they, they forget or they get lax on fanning the flame of the collective faith in the church. And so this is what's been wonderful is that there's been more oxygen, so to speak, more flame here at joy. There's a renewal. Now, it wasn't that Timothy's flame went out or that he wasn't using the gift of God, the the gift that God gave him. It's that it wasn't burning as brightly or as passionately or as zealously as it could. The gift that was given to Timothy was preaching and teaching. Now, some of you might stop right there and think, well, that's not my gift, so I don't have to worry about that. But that's where we need to take a look at the application here. Because the fact is, you have at least one gift from God. You have at least one gift from God. It could be examples of mercy. We talked about last week how mercy is compassion, has you act on behalf of another. But there's also encouragement. There's wisdom, discernment, spiritual discernment. There's craftsmanship, right? Just even putting the chairs together, that's part of that. The arts, there's organization, administration. I mean, there's a lot of things. And you, without doubt, have at least one gift from God. And the question is, are you fanning the flame in that gift that he has given you. Now, you might be thinking, well, how do I fan the flame in my spiritual life and the gifts that I've been given? 
Well, remember, what does a fire need? Oxygen. What would be the oxygen for us? I would say this spiritual oxygen, if you will allow me, will be the Word of God. The spiritual oxygen, I would say, would be the Word of God. Just like you have to breathe on a regular basis, 15 times a minute or more, to live, you need to be able to take in the Word of God, and it renews you. Some of you have told me that you've taken up the 21-day challenge, and it has been eye-opening for some of you. But to be able to take it in, because that's where our life comes from. Just as Peter said, Lord, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. God's Word, believe it or not, is active. And it starts to work on you. And it brings you to ever greater life. So I would encourage you, take any book of the Bible. Just start reading through it. And you don't have to read fast. You can just, you know, take a paragraph and just kind of meditate on that paragraph for a little while. How else do you fan the flame? Through prayer. That's another way, a very important way, to be in prayer to the Lord. And by the way, in your prayer, you can ask him, how may I exercise the gift that you gave me? He answers prayers like that. Now, some of you might be saying again, oh, yeah, but I don't, I don't have that in me. Well, the truth is none of us have that gumption by ourselves. And this is why Paul writes to Timothy, God has given you something to carry you through all of this. He wrote, God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So these gifts are from God to enable you to exercise your, your gifts to, to fan the flame of your faith. So let's talk about these. Power, love, and self-control. Uh, If you've got sermon notes, I'm just going to stick with one slide here. You're going to have to listen carefully to fill in the blanks. Power. The power referred here is not physical strength, but it is spiritual power. Because remember, the battle in which you and I are engaged here is spiritual in nature above all things. So thus, the power, the power is to work on, to hold out, to endure all things, to suffer and die, to be victorious and triumphant through it all, through our faith. And this is the message we had a couple of weeks ago, that you and I are overcomers, not because of us, but because of Christ Jesus, in whom we have placed our trust, our faith. See, this spiritual power is akin to what was given on Pentecost. Before his ascension, Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This is the spiritual fortitude that God has given you in 
Christ Jesus. He also has given you love. This love is the greatest, strongest love of all. It is the self-sacrificial love. It is the love that brings you to compassion, to give yourself up for the sake of another. It is the love from and for Christ Jesus who gave himself up for others that they may have life. That's the steadfast, faithful love that God has given you. And also self-control. See, what God has given you is not just power alone. It is not just love alone. It is power, love, and self-control. Three things. The self-control, or another way to say this, is sound judgment, guides our power, directs our love, and is especially needed in difficult and dangerous times. It guides us or even stops us from making rash, ill-considered hasty actions. The self-control also keeps us going back to God's Word for His wisdom. So you have power, love, self-control. These three things God has given you in your walk of faith. And it's amazing what happens when people understand this power, love, and self-control. Let me give you an example. So in Nepal, 60 years ago, it was pretty well closed. I'm not sure how it is today, but it was closed especially to be a Christian. It wasn't illegal, but almost practically so. And Christianity was basically non-existent. But there were some missionaries who said, that's where we need to go. And ultimately, there was a school, uh, Darjeeling, I'm, I'm not sure how to pronounce that, D-A-R-J-E-E-L-I-N-G. Uh, it's, they founded a um, Bible school in India, and that school has trained 40% of the pastors in the neighboring Nepal. And they went from basically zero to over 2 million believers during that time. Is anything impossible with God? No. God has given you power, love, and self-control, all for the sake of the gospel. And this is what Paul is writing to Timothy. And he says, of this, of this, never be ashamed. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And I'm going to go on here, verse 9. Who saved us and has called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. So, by the way, Paul is not saying to Timothy, you are ashamed. He's not saying that at all. He's rather saying, in, in this sense, is don't be timid. 
Don't be shy. That's the sense of this regarding the gospel. Now, you also find in our church here and throughout, this is part of one of the pictures for our mission statement, right? Romans chapter 1, verse 16. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. I've said that many, many times, right? So here's a question for you. Is the gospel true? See, this is what every person has to be able to come to is, is it true? Or in, in, in a kind of an odd way, I'd have to ask, is it really true? Like, is it factually true? Because there's a lot of people who go to church and kind of go, yeah, okay, the gospel. But for those people who it's the foundation, it's solid, it is true, it is unmovable. You stand on that and you go, I'm not ashamed of it. This is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. Why would I ever be ashamed of that? Why would I ever be timid about that? Now, by the way, this doesn't mean, again, again, this doesn't mean you have to go in full-time ministry. That's not the purpose here. There's a lot of different places in your life you can just stand on the gospel. And a lot of you have told me about things that have been happening this past year in your lives. What happens walking a dog or walking around a lake or in the grocery store? So next week, I've invited somebody to share testimony about what happened during a phone conversation. It's the power of God, the love of God, breaking through for the sake of the gospel. I, I, I like how uh, one commentator put it. When the gospel is given and then received, death is destroyed and life is brought forth. This actually echoes what it says in verse 10. And which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So we fan into flame our faith, our gift, and we're never ashamed, and we need to guard it dearly. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced what he is able to guard until that day, what has been entrusted to me. Reading that, going through that, I highlighted a section there, right? It says, I know whom I have believed. You know what it does not say? It does not say, for I know what I have believed. See, my faith is not about philosophy, archaeology, uh, paleontology, science, any of those things. Although I think those things are interesting and they can even be important. My faith is not even just the creed, although I think creeds are very important. My faith is not even in the miracles that happen, although miracles are extremely important. My faith is in the one, the person in whom all of that 
happens. My faith is in Christ Jesus and him alone. I know whom I believe. See, there's the difference between what and who or whom. And it is a big difference. When you know the reality of the Jesus Christ and his gospel and you stand firm on that, and you know how precious the gift that has been given to you, you want to guard it dearly. You want to guard it with your life because that is your life. Everything else in the world fades away. But the gift of salvation in Christ Jesus, your faith in him, and faith is nothing other than trust, that you trust he is who he says he is. You hold that dearly, and you guard it. And you trust that he will guard it when you fail, that he will be faithful when you are not. And so you hold on to that. You cling to that. For that's your life. This is Paul's letter to Timothy. So this morning for you, man, if you do just one thing this week, this could be it. Who do you know who needs encouragement in their faith? Maybe if you just took that on, that would be something spectacular. What do you need to do to fan into flame your faith and your gifts from God? I would encourage you this week also to spend time meditating on the reality of the gospel and to spend time with Jesus, the one in whom you believe. Amen. 